Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenge innovation left. I'm Eduardo Barca with both teacher and socialist and community advocate. Aburto Sotomayor, married woman. <laughs> uh, we're online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes. You can also find our as at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode where we found this. All right, we're reporting from San Francisco, from Oakland, and from Colombia, Bogota, Colombia. Uh, I wasn't able to be here uh, last week. Thank you very much. I'm dealing with migration issues, visa issues here in this country. Uh, my goodness, it always feels like I'm a, I am an immigrant, <laughs> but like in other countries, I'm always dealing with things. All right, let's get into the topic. I'm just expressing my own frustrations. Um, so today's topic will be discussing uh, something that I had thought we never really discussed in a full episode, dedicated one episode to this topic, and that is the emergence of a new left or the left that changed over time, evolutionized. Um, there's many ways to say this, I guess. For me, it's uh, a personal experience and for Hamas, for both of us having been out of the country for some time. You were in Nicaragua, I was in Europe, I was living in England at the time, and then I was living in France, and then we both came to this country. I came in 2017, you came in 2018, and there was an emerging left. There was a left that was created, actually, what's left, this very podcast. Uh, and what Andy actually was expressing a lot of frustration at the time, I remember we had conversations, and he wanted to ask the question, what is left? of the left, which at the time we had very we had thought there was a left that we were dedicated or part of and we were fighting for. But apparently there was happen things that are happening I'd like for you to share from the first experience that you saw the sprouts of this happening way long ago. And then for us who were leave, we had left the country, we were on a different side of the world where we were experiencing a different kind of politics. And uh, there's a lot for me to say around this, but I, I want to give you both a chance to sort of maybe fill in uh, for this topic that I'm trying to convey to our public. I just want to lay a little bit of the framework of what I, my memory of what the left was in San Francisco in the Bay Area when I left. So when I come back, I'm assuming I'm going to see that left, but it's different left what I see. Yeah. Um, so I leave to Nicaragua in 2012. At the time, I was in my early 20s, maybe mid-20s. And, you know, I went from adolescent to adulthood in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, you always thought that it's a very liberal city, very um, progressive in its politics. And, you know, you had you still had the legacy of Berkeley, I want to say, like in the 70s of the protests of burning your bra, of just kind of give it the finger, the middle finger to the man. You had Hayden Ashbury. Right. So there is this legacy of San Francisco and what it means when it comes to social and political movements. And when I lived around San Francisco, I can't say that I experienced any of those movements. I think there was maybe one or two big protests when I was living here. However, it, it the air felt as if at any moment you can have another one of those movements. People were very much about 
let's talk about it. Let's let's give people rights. Let's be again progressive. I think that's the best word. So I leave to Nicaragua with that mind. I leave with Nicaragua to Nicaragua with that experience. When I come back, it's fucking bullshit. Um, so I come back in a time where 2018, I guess COVID was 2020, right? That's when COVID hit, COVID hit. And I come mid towards the middle of 2018. I'm getting my foot situated. Because of the uprising that had happened in Nicaragua and everything that I was a part of, I quickly connected with a group that was also politically involved. Um, well, actually, I, I should say involved in the community, more in social aspects. But if we were all just kind of heated because of what was happening in Nicaragua and we connected with other groups. And that had us do fundraisers. And when you fundraise, you get a lot of the same crowds that go to these fundraisers, you know, a lot of the same community organizers, a lot of the same political activists, at least that was my experience. Maybe because it was a Latin um, fundraiser, you got to see a lot of those. And I remember being just at first shocked the verbiage that they were using. Every scene, it didn't matter what event I was in. It didn't matter if it was an LGBT event. It didn't matter if it was an immigration event. It didn't matter if it was a cultural event. It was the exact same verbiage. They regurgitated the exact same sentence word for word. It almost felt like they had rehearsed. They had memorized this. And these were social cues. These were the things you had to say in these spots. Anything outside of that was not accepted. And so for me, it was learning new language, identity politics. I had never heard of identity politics in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing it everywhere. Um, cis male, cis heterosexual male. You know, and mind you, when I was in high school, I was the founder of the um, GSA club in my school. So I was familiar with, you know, the gay community and I was familiar with some and of the hold on. GSA is gay straight Alliance. Thank you. Gay straight Alliance. Thank you. But never this, it's not just you're heterosexual. Now you're heterosexual and you also have all of these other subcategories and everybody had to say their little subcategory. And that's how people were being described. So for me at first it was shocking. I had to kind of listen and I felt stupid asking what, what do you mean by that? Right. Because you don't want to ask that. It's not a very welcoming environment. I feel that if you ask, like, you don't know, what are you doing here? It's not a very So to me, it was left to just put it in context. How is it being used in a sentence? And that's how I navigated these groups. Most of the time I wasn't really speaking. I was just listening and trying to figure out what the lingo and boy, oh boy. <laughs> but um. Edu, before we get into the specifics of it, I, I, I how was yours? Because you had something similar, I feel like. I mean, I could share, but I, I have a question for you. Did you ever feel before, before I go into mine, did you ever feel like you felt pressured to fall into any of those um, or maybe align yourself with? Because as a woman, as a person of color, there have been times where you, I'm sure, is being pushed and rallied into joining in many of the ways that the I progressive the era. I had the opposite experience because I'm white passing. 
what the fuck is white passing? That was another thing. Another, you know, again, feeding into this identity politics, because I was white passing, I I couldn't have, I couldn't hold ground. I could, or share space, share space, right? That was another, that's another one of these words. Um, I, no, for me, one, I, I didn't want to be a part of these groups. I completely just pulled myself away. I kept to Chavalos, which is the organization that I'm a part of. And I was involved with other organizations just by proxy, but never a member. I would never go and attend like a rally. I would never want to organize necessarily with these um, groups. But no, I, I, for me, it was a big no. It just, again, to me, they, they look like trained monkeys and I didn't want to be part of a circus. So. <laughs> I guess that what I was experiencing, I was, I was at that time living in England. I, for me, it was challenging uh, to understand how to speak. I think for me, it was challenging because of the political correctness. You know, there was, uh, it was like the cultural liberalism or the cultural progressivism was emerging. And I don't know, I can't pinpoint, I'm not going to be here and state, you know, when did all this begin? I think people can state different times. It might have begun after Occupy 2011. It might have been right after, um, uh, who knows, um, in San Francisco, I, I know there was a time right after uh, John Avalos, who was one of the uh, candidates uh, for um, to be a mayor in San Francisco. And I joined his his campaign. I, I was a part of that campaign. And I remember the words and the language that I began hearing at the time were just in 2011. And I was just beginning to understand what he was talking about, you know, but I think all of this was born in academia. Uh, that's my, my, you know, and, and so you have people uh, training politicians to, you know, touch a certain base and to inspire. You know, I think a lot of the civil rights movements were rightly so important. You know, you had Martin Luther King or you had Malcolm X and you had all the other people in between that I can't name because there were so many unrecognized people that I have never learned of in school. We're just taught that there was only two people, <laughs> even though there are so many other people that are, you know, I, um, are, have been there, but there was a, there's a time, there was a time and a place where, um, anti-racism and, and, um, and gay rights movements were important, um, in the sense that, uh, people were searching for a way to, to, to have civil rights just like everyone else. But they focus too much on, on categories, you know, and, and focusing on one 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 area of a fight. And uh, and I think those splits came into what, you know, people started studying further and researching further in academia. Uh, whereas if you think of movements like socialism or anarchism, uh, you, you pretty much cover them. You cover all those categories. All by one by saying, you know what, we shouldn't be divided at all. You know, we should just be together as working class folk and we're all the same, you know, and whatever sort of discrimination comes up against another worker hurts all the other workers. And we don't buy into that. So we abolish the whole thing once together, you know, liberate us from capitalism, which needs these divisions. And that's the end of it. 
but that's not the way that our system is. Our system has worked in a way that you need to, you know, we've been divided for so long and people have progressively gone, not to, no pun intended, I mean progressively, like a left politics. I mean, like slowly uh, keep, you know, uh, rooting, uh, excuse me, caving or no, um, sculpting more of these grooves, grooves into stronger and stronger identity politics, which I think emerged in those two, in the early 2000s and the sprouts of it. And then you saw the way that people were beginning to react to it. They didn't know how to be around this type of language, is sort of cultural progressiveness. You know, you had people being corrected on television, political correct, to be politically correct. You had um, uh, kids going back home, correcting their families. You know, you had school uh, teaching, because um, I remember in school teaching students exactly uh, how to to speak about things. I think people felt they didn't know how to come about it to speak around issues around social class or race or any of these um, isms. And so um, what emerged out of that was uh, people had, I would say around this time, this is when it first, you might both, both of you might argue differently. That's fine. You can share your, your time. But I think that when you had normal status quo politics happening, Republicans versus Democrats, and you had a Hillary Clinton sort of being the nominee already before the elections already started, suddenly you had uh, Trump stating what a lot of conservatives or people, I would say, working class folk did in the South and many places state what they couldn't say or they wanted to say, you know, which was, you know, not being politically correct. You had someone in power, someone, a billionaire that could actually say things that were on people's minds because everyone's so fucking scared to say it the correct way when they're trying to understand something. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that that's what caused a division. And then you had Bernie Sanders who was to many young people a savior. And I, I won't lie. And that's why I asked you the question, did you feel like persuaded or jump into sort of any of these bandwagons? I, I myself wouldn't say I jumped into a specific bandwagon, but I did vote at the time. And so I, uh, what for me was important was to vote for the right candidate at that time. And when I was in uh, France, cause that's when the, I started seeing more of these, um, the news come up around Trump, I, uh, I decided to speak about Bernie Sanders and to learn more about him, even from far away. And so, so I guess it wasn't so much the, the terminology of being correct around that. It was more around being, uh, starting maybe I'll come back and do a campaign for Bernie Sanders. When I came back, I realized, whoa, the wave of just political correctness and cultural progressivism and social values and the way that you had to talk about things. And these things were hitting. I didn't know how to navigate at that time. I remember uh, people like um, someone you know. There were multiple, multiple people like your friend and like your colleagues, Andy, <laughs> that were <laughs> propagating the seeds of uh, political correctness and, and identity politics. Uh, so for me, I, I guess what happened is I had thought, and you can, people can see episodes where I had thought 
the, the way to go about this was to sort of meddle or be in discussion with certain circles so that we can try to create a more uh, radical left. So I, I decided to be engaged in progressive politics. So I had thought there was a there was time and place to have discussions like what we were having. And uh, and maybe that is the reason why I think I was through that transition that Andy, you had thought of, we would work well together in creating what's left. But that's a whole different, I mean, I don't want to touch too much on the creation of what's left, but that's what was going on. And I know you were having thoughts and, and doubts at that time. So anyhow, I'm, I, uh, so that's what what happened for me. It was it was impactful. It was in my face. It was, you know, of course I was against the travel ban and the Muslim ban. Of course I was for. Well, they didn't say. Uh, well, they attempted to say, you know, anti-border, uh, but they were more anti-border policies more than just open borders. And so, of course, I'm against racism, and of course, but how we were discussing these things were, I guess. You were being told that if you didn't support these candidates, which were all Democrat or progressive left candidates, then you weren't actually supporting the cause. You were just speaking your mind and doing what? The work was to be done supporting Democrats that were speaking progressive politics. And that emerged AOC. And we did an episode on that. And if anyone looks at that, I I, I actually defended some of what AOC was doing. If anyone sees that, I was defending also the president of my country, AMLO who I was in support of, who was also part of that progressivism. Though the La, La Rosa, La, La Ola Rosa here in Latin America, which began with Mexico, was with AMLO. He was the, the new left that was going to also change. It was also beginning to, uh, you know, spread through Latin America. And AMLO, my president, my country was the beginning of that. Then was Chile, then was Argentina, and then slowly was Colombia. And I've discussed that here. But let's go back to US American politics. That's that's what um that wave was about. I I think in my experience. I'm not saying it was like a fact, but in my experience. <clears throat> I would argue that it and, happened before that. Sorry to cut you off, Eduardo, but these ideas, these words, identity politics, um, I, I, I can't think of like other one. That, that's just the one that gets to me the most. But, oh. Political correctness. Political correctness. Thank you. <laughs> Had to start somewhere. And it started in academia. So someone in academia started thinking and, I, and it had to spread. It, it didn't just happen. We didn't all just start using this verbiage because one person started to do it. I don't think it was a natural, a, a natural way to respond because we naturally don't use these words. We naturally don't speak in this manner. And we all speak from our own perspectives and our own experiences. But if you sit down with the left at that at this time you could have talked to any of them it would have been the same there was no experience there was no individuality in it it was all the same and they and, and the same thing was being said that we need to give space we need to give um we need to give voice to unheard people the the minorities and yet I'm thinking you want to do that, but you're using language that they don't understand. You're using language that's not natural to them and you expect them to come and rally and speak in these spaces. So what you end up doing is you end up creating these token brown people. 
that do come from academia, that look the part, that maybe come from a family that definitely struggled and was an immigrant, but that's not his experience. But he is the voice of the immigrant because they look a certain way and they have these keywords. It had to start somewhere. To your point, if you're saying that these were the words that were in the language that's being given to politicians, then your PR people are doing it. And this is from academia. And it starts to spread as a virus because, wow, that person sounds so woke. Back then, that word didn't exist, right? We had to come up with that because even for me, I think that was something I could have never have explained. If When I first heard someone speak in this manner, I was like, oh, wow, this person's very intelligent. This person's very intellectual, very connected, fully understanding. But as I come to see it and hear it in everyone, I realized, oh, no, the, that that's not really the case. But all this to say that it started in academia. I want to say that it was with malice, with the malice to alienate, form the perspective of we need to sound better. We need to sound smart. We need to use these key words, these trigger words, these words that will stick out in people that they won't understand. And we can then manipulate and weaponize to use them in a manner that is convenient for us at that time. All with the facade that no, we're we're giving you space, we're giving you a place, we're 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 fighting for you. But these people don't know what the fuck you're talking about, uh, you know. And even the political correctness, all of a sudden, the cancellation. And I think we did an episode on being canceled, which to me is these people had time to go and look at your Facebook, your MySpace page of something that you posted so many years ago, and use that as no, you are a racist. This is what you really think but you're not using the cultural context. And I think of this even with my people. You're, you want to promote, you know, brown voices. Brown voices are very racist. They're very dark. They're bullying. And not because we mean harm. It's in our culture to laugh at these things because it's part of life and you're going to deal with it. And you cannot control people. You cannot our struggle with people and tell them you are wrong. You, you, It doesn't work that way. So what do you do? You realize, you laugh it off, you counteract with another smart phrase, turn of phrase, and you move on. It doesn't become this big thing that it came in the United States. You're not fired from your job, right? So I, I while I see what you're saying, I think that I, I, I generally believe that this started way before. And it just happened to coincide with Bernie and Trump because when they come, it's already there. The land, the ground has been set. The seeds have been planted. Now they're just blossoming. But again, and, go and ahead. Let, yeah, no, and let me, and I'm, I want to stick with this conversation, but I'm going to take a, one step back to make sure we're talking about the, or maybe we don't have to be talking about the same left. And I just want to check with you, Emma. Will that, so many people, when they hear the left, they think, particularly in mainstream media, it really is they talk about the Democratic Party. And I, when, when I talk about the left, I am talking about something which is or pretends to be independent of the Democratic Party. So I'm speaking of that. And it can be all the people who are explicitly revolutionary or people who are like, I'm not maybe a revolutionary, but I'm, I might vote, but I don't, I'm not connected. I, mean, I don't think of myself as a, a big Democratic Party supporter. I'm even critical of them. I just vote because I'm lesser evilism. I think of my, my real actions as what I do in organizing, maybe in a community or in some place. That is that the left we are speaking of here? 
For me, yeah, for because that's the left that I encountered. The left that I encountered didn't identify as Democrats, they identified as left, anarch, anarchist, um, liberals, something else. And Eduardo, you say the same for you as well? The left that you're describing is, yeah, yeah the mainstream left. Yeah, yeah and, and I want to be clear that many of those people, at the end of the day, did often vote Democrat. You know, they would they would vote for Gore when Bush was coming because they, and they might not have voted for Nader when some of them didn't vote, but I, okay. So we're talking about the same left as far as I'm concerned. I want to be clear about that. Um, I voted because Eduardo made me vote. <laughs> you're going to blame Eduardo now. Uh, <laughs> yes. If they ever look at my voting history, I'm like, that was all Eduardo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the first thing I would say is, if we're going to talk about identity politics as a, as the beginning of the, well, let me just say this. Like, I think we are trying to figure out what happened to that left. You know, how did it get to be so, become so divisive, so poisonous, so like a sect? Um, and I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if we're going to come up with answers, but I think this discussion is helping me think of some trends. The first thing to know is I do think identity politics is a, is a big feature of that thing. And identity politics is the same. What is the same? If if you look over the corpse of the movements of the '60s and '70s, when you when we think about the the Black Panther Party, the Brown Beret movement, the revolutionary movements of that time, when you look over its corpse, you will see identity politics rife as the as the end stage of of what happened to that movement. It 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 got into separating women, separating gays separating men. It was just doing all sorts of things to divide itself. And it was a reflection of the defeat of that movement. And it was also a part of how the movement became more and more connected to the Democratic Party. Both of those things were happening at the same time. So one thing I can say is the left is finally dead. And it, part of its corpse, part of what has infected it is, is the identity politics. It, there's some different things, like there's some these pronouns you have to do, um, and Latin X is one big one I remember hearing about. Like I remember being in school in a school that was ser- serving students, brown students, when we talked called them Latino. And then literally over a summer we come back and it's Latin X. I'm like, who? What, Latin X? I mean, that's a white people thing, by the way. In no, our country, I, if you say if you say that, which it irks me when I hear that. It's I'm like, shut the fuck up, because you are speaking for my culture. Yet in our country, we're like, what the fuck? But it, it is a Latin X is literally the perfect embodiment of virtually everything we're talking about here because it, it's an artificial creation and it, it's an imposition of language, you know? Now, I think, so that's one thing I want to say is that identity, it appears that identity politics is a way that things crack up and divide. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's the way that things start becoming, becoming divisive. Um, now one could say, and I think me and Eduardo have talked about this, even the notion of a left is divisive because there's left and then there's right. And, you know, and I, I buy that. So their vibes might've been there earlier, if you will, but identity politics is clearly a feature that develop that has been either put in or, or develops when, when movements are becoming split up um, and, and breaking apart. And that's one thing I think is, has happened. Um, the other thing I think about is, so political correctness. I do believe that if people are in struggle together, 
that it's possible that like if you had people who were heterosexual and gay and were like, and I think there's a history of that in Brit in the British, uh, like the story that I think Eduardo talked about when, in, when, when there was working class struggle and gay British. Ireland. Can you, can you remember that Eduardo? He said Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. It wasn't Britain, Ireland. And, in Ireland. Happened and, in Ireland. The right. minors with the LGBT community. Right. I can imagine that, that terms, like fag and whatever, if they came up, would would be challenged, and there and there would have to be a discussion in the context of a struggle about what is the language that we're going to use to talk to speak with one another. And so, one, I do believe that language can be important in the context of a struggle. But if you take struggle out, if you just remove struggle and just call it about language, it's literally it's a symbolic, it's a virtue signal, right? What do they call it? It's a, it is, it is. It is basically you have you have movement with no struggle. Like it's it's empty. It's it's like a it's like the shell, an insect shell on the outside, an exoskeleton, but no, with no nothing internally in it. And that is what I think has happened in part is like the 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 left the left the organized movement became more disconnected from actually regular people, and de definitely continued to be connected to academia. I would say more connected to the Democratic Party. And I think, to me, if you wanted to say a, a place in history that really turned the switch, it was the Obama election. And it was the idea that a black man being voted as president was somehow important, an indication of racism ending. No, it wasn't. Racism was going to expand at this point. And even my own, even socialists were talking about it. Some of us socialists were talking about it. We didn't vote for him. But we we're talking about it as an advance of a, a race because they literally put up a dude who was going to fuck us so hard, and he's black, and they're going and he's going to fuck black people so hard as well, and it's like, and we talked about it like some sort of, okay, yes, yeah, a Democrat for one, we know we're not, but but now look look what look what it says about race and racism in this country, and so we got extremely confused and our heads got turned, and of course there was already trends in the revolutionary movement that moving more and more liberal, more and more non-revolutionary and, and sinking more in the Democratic Party. But that became the to me the, the transmission belt for for getting to getting to a point where right now people who are associated with the Democratic Party are actually wanting George Bush, you know, to help them. The transmission belt for that was 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 Barack Obama because all the policies that George Bush the, that the Patriot Act, the wars, the things like that, that we all said, and the anti-immigrant stuff that we all said we hated, and even the liberal left said we hated, we all became acclimated to those through a black man telling us they were fine. And to me, I think the ruling class learned, the liberal intelligentsia learned that, that we could be led around by the nose if they would just put black people and brown people, women in front of us, and they could just fucking have, our, have, have their way with us. And they were right. Because politically we were, we were un, we, we had already drunk enough of the identity politics stuff that we were, no, we were defenseless before a ruling class that was going to use putting up black people or brown people or women as these are your leaders now. Are you going to not? Are you not going to be run by them? Are you going to tell them? What are you racist? What are you sexist? You're not. You don't. And this is what they've done, and they realize they can they can just drive you around like you know run you around by your nose because people. Because the movement has become so separated from like 
basic working class politics and even the notion that Eduardo was getting at, the working class must be united. If we're going to have a revolution, we must all be united, you know, and if we're not, we won't have a revolution. And that, that we just lost, lost track of all that. And it, frankly, I think people just stopped even believing that revolution was possible. So they were looking for the small little gains to see if you can get somewhere else along the way. And that led them step by step to this place, which was a, not just a dead end, it's a poisonous, cultish, you know, transfigured thing. No, no one would want to be a part of it, you know? And so those are some thoughts I had. That's the virus that was put into the groups organizing because we didn't speak like that. We didn't think like that. And all of a sudden we started to, and we fell into this pitfalls, fell for the democratic bullshit, started voting, you know, pushing for them. And then just divided ourselves and killed any possibility to actually be able to organize together. Because I will tell you one thing, these groups that, at least from my experience, that were organizing and were speaking, the saying the right thing, pushing these types of agendas, saying, oh, we're in, let's first acknowledge that we're in Olon, I'm not even saying if I'm saying that, Olon land, I'm thinking to myself, Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> um, they are the most poorly run groups. They are the ones that just talk shit about each other behind their backs, accomplish absolutely nothing other than alienate themselves from the community they're trying to represent and hold the progress of that community back with their bullshit. And I look at it as yeah, the virus came, it infected everyone, the the cost is dead, the, the, there is nothing that's going to come of this, you have to burn it all to the ground and start fresh, you know, and get rid of these bozos. But that's me. I'm an extremist, too. I agree. At this point, I'll take Trump. I'll take Trump. I will take Trump. Yeah, I'll take Trump. And I'll take Trump from the perspective of, Trump didn't care what you said. You could be yourself. You didn't have to say these correct things. You didn't have to be politically correct. You had an idea. You pushed. Was it my idea? No. Was it my values? No, it wasn't my values. But it doesn't matter. The, the point is that he was able to rally all of the... He was actually able to connect and bring together these different types of groups and actually push towards something. Again, not my values that he's pushing, but it goes to show that he brought people together instead of divide them. He divided us is what he did. And what maybe what I would say about it is I, and this is based on my experience in the freedom movement and the COVID stuff. It is, it has been a healthier organizing environment to organize with people who might have say I, they're who are into Trump or that has, that has been a healthier organizing environment in general than what I came out of in the left. And that's the to me that's the the difference is you can actually say what you mean and be heard um, in, in these environments not agreed with right now I I was at the National Coalition for Health Integrity and I talked about how I'm for open borders and people just weren't going to hear it like they hear it but they're just not going to agree you know and these are my freedom allies um, but they'll at least acknowledge what I'm saying. I'm the only person in that room saying it right now, to be honest. Uh, there could be one other person who was there, but they weren't there at that meeting. Um, but I don't feel um, like, how dare I? I don't feel like, you know, I can't, I can call, there are people in that group who think that the communists have taken over 
all the board of educations and the boards and things like that. And I say I'm a communist and people don't lose their minds, you know, like, so it's, it, it, it is a healthier terrain in which to be able to speak with people. I'm not going to say Trump people are the best, but way healthier than what I, what I, what I came out of. I'll put it that way. You didn't get canceled. Because in their in, in in their mind frame, that's exactly what they're fighting against. This whole cancellation, this you have to say this. Of course, they have a shared value that they rally against. Not my value, but I respect their method. I respect the fact that they are able to and willing to listen and don't use these big fancy words that mean nothing to your regular person. And one last thing, I think you use the word control. That is a feature of this. It wasn't just to impress people. It is to control people. And one of the things that has existed on the left is two things, arrogance, and secondly, a complete disbelief in the ability of regular people to do shit. They think that regular people are stupid. They think regular people can't do squat. So they have to be told, they have to be educated by us, by by these smart people, and if we get them the proper education, then the world will kind of flourish. It's the opposite, actually. If people listen to these people, we're going to go into hell. Um, but they, people won't even listen to them. But that's it's that frame. I do think that the, the framework of frame of mind of people who do this is not it's not just arrogance. It actually is a desire to control. So much for shit talking the white um, sir. What is it? The white sir, not survivor rescuer. What, what's that complex that they talk about? The white man needing to come and rescue the world. Oh, um, the liberals need to come and rescue the world. Right, right. White man's burden. Yeah, white that's the burden. liberal's burden for us poor brown, uneducated folks. Yes, right, right. Yeah. Sorry, Edu. I know we went on a tangent. No, 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 that's fine. No, I was just thinking of all those terms that were used at that time: diversity, political correctness, cultural liberalism ultra progressiveness, identity politics, Black Lives Matter, uh, Latinx, uh, white fragility. Uh, oh, you know, um, I'm just oh, thinking. Toxic masculinity, my favorite. <laughs> There's just so many, it's just so many things. And right. I, I want to, I do want to make a note that there are, there are, words and phrases that are important in the context of psychology in the in the context of identifying something that is that that needs to be addressed my light just went out so okay, I'm gonna leave it um but a lot of these people like oh he they are a psychopath they are in um what's the word that starts with an a Oh, they use it a lot too in these places if you if you thought highly of yourself or if you came off as being confident, a narcissist it's not an a it's a narcissist and they just started throwing and self-assessing people and 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 saying that you suffer from this condition without and i don't know if i want to keep this part in but to me was more of the man i'm fucking high school all over again just with big words and i don't you you don't know what the fuck you're doing you don't know what you're saying i i don't i don't feel the need to attack you but I also don't want to stick around to be attacked. And in so doing, I think you lose a lot of a lot of people that can actually make a change and get you to the goal that you want to get to. 
so I guess just to be clear, though, I mentioned these terms, but that doesn't mean I'm, of course, I'm for, I'm an anti-racist. Of course, I want Black people to be as equal as me or as equal as Andy, who's white or anybody. Of course, I want these things. But I felt like the target wasn't uh, the, the root of the issue, as I had learned. It was really just leading us and people co-opting these, right? You had Hillary Clinton saying, I'm for Black Lives Matter, which was a big deal for the Democrats, or, you know, taking on these things just so that you can vote for the two-party system that we have. And that's when I began, you know, like I, that's what exactly what Roosevelt did when there was an emerging socialist movement arising and then suddenly you know, Roosevelt was like, we're going to do reforms in order for us to appease the people and the public. Uh, I think what what I uh, look at back at this time, I see arrogance. And we had discussed this in the car many times, you and I, Andy. One thing that I really did not like uh, was the arrogance. It's you are better and you are smarter and you are more anti-racist and more pro-LGBT or more whatever, you are suddenly all of these things more of because you know how to speak in this lingo or you are able to defend people's rights and you're out there protesting and you have your banners and you have everything. But you know, what really hit me was when COVID happened and there were the lockdowns <laughs> and you had all the professionals and smart people who are progressive leftists suddenly going along with uh, COVID uh, policies and uh, emergency powers and lockdowns and the closure of schools. In my particular experience in trying to reopen the schools, I suddenly thought maybe I'll use these cards. I'm brown, I'm Latino, I'm queer, I'm you know, I'm part of the LGBT community, I'm a person of color, I'm the perfect match to to, to discuss that we, the majority of us want to, our schools to reopen. And I had gone up to people and people of power and people who, who were white, <laughs> appealing to them with these cards, using the UNO cards that they had told me that had power. I thought I had the wild cards. I thought I had the draw and plus four, you know, all kinds of cards. I had all kinds of cards in my favor. And if I didn't have them, I had people who did have those cards. I had black women and I have brown women and I had disabled women and I had deaf kids with me on my side. So I thought I had it all. <laughs> I had a movement of Uno cards. <laughs> you know, you had I the really wrong did. color. Uh, no, well, we were, you know, I had I had friends. I had a I had a black woman deaf friend who wanted to reopen schools for deaf children. Right. I thought we had all the cards available to us. <laughs> And when we went up to the teachers union and said, you know, we want to reopen schools. Oh, it was a difficult conversation, but you're not the voice we're looking for. <laughs> Correct. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. You're the Mexican Uno, not the American Uno. You bought, you bought your deck in, a, in the wrong country. Sorry. <laughs> I, for the first time, realized at that time, what? I thought I had all my cards. I'm for Black Lives Matter. I, I'm voted for, I voted for progressive candidates. 
hyper-cultural progressiveness and cultural liberalism and political correctness. I'm always correcting my family to say it the right way. And, you know, it's not black, it's African-Americans. <laughs> I thought I, I had come with my brown families and we were for the reopening of schools. And, you know, teachers, teachers who are meant to educate to be the revolutionaries of our children to teach them the new path, to educate them, right? Did not listen, did not listen. So that's when I, I think everything was tumbling down on me. Like I had thought in this previous discussions, yeah, well, I understand what you're saying, Andy. And of course I realize, you know, identity politics is a dead path. And of course it's a trap, but we gotta play these cards. I used to tell you, we have to play these cards because if we don't, we're not going to have a movement. Your movement's not, I don't see beginnings of a train here, I would tell you. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, you know, it took someone to smack me in my face and tell me at that time, you know, you're not the right kind of voice. You're not the right kind of brown person we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Because you're against everything we're trying to do, which is to police society and to stay home, be safe, Say for who? <laughs> Making COVID parties for teachers. <laughs> and, you know, and, and just to follow the new fourth industrial revolution, which is, if people don't know what that is, into the new era of data collection, emergency powers, more use of the internet and to keep us away from each other and to really use these virtual spaces so that we can uh, modernize the world. And the more tech was used at that time, and we can do more screens and more uh, literally screening of people's faces so that we can register them. And this was the whole new, you know, way of doing things. So there's a plane, sorry. So I, 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 I'm just saying for people who might suddenly feel, whoa, 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 I'm not so sure you know, I, I'm for Black Lives Matter. I'm actually for uh, immigrant rights. I'm for that too. But this was all set up, you know, as, as I'm trying to share, uh, you know, what's happened in my experience, uh, going this route of what this progressiveness led us to, it just only showed, this was all just for show. It really was not to meant for the real struggle of our people. And so, what did it matter that, you know, former friends of mine that shut me out and censored me knew how to speak the lingo and were doubly majored and had their masters when the real people of color, well, we're all the people, the real working class people were actually demanding for, um, you know, solidarity. I even, it's hard for me to even use that word, solidarity. But, you know, asking for them to be joined with other people that were speaking this lingo and they chose not to they chose to police them and to state to police the state so if anyone here thinks that you know i'm not so sure if i want to let go of that left of that progressive left i'll just tell you from personal experience you're going to be used and then suddenly not be used and then you know you're not going to be the right kind of uh, person, the right, as Dijama said, the right token. 
yeah, I I do think there's a left. I, I want to be clear. I, I do think there is a left. There are people that want the same things that the same values. They share their, our same values. I just don't think we're going to find them in cities like New York and cities like San Francisco. And I don't know, I've never been to Portland, Oregon, but in, in these big liberal cities that are all pushing the same language, all pushing the same agenda. I, I don't think that's where we're going to find them. And, you know, one of the, I remember the, I had one, I had one conversation with someone that was that essentially questioned anything that came out of a white person's mouth and made an argument that because they were white, they had to prove themselves. They had to be questioned because their intentions were not pure. Their intentions were not good. And the only thing that came to my mind was Lipson. And I'm thinking Lipson is the whitest man that I know. He is also the least whitest man that I know in values. And if I had to allow or pass the microphone to someone that I felt could speak for me, it would be Lipson. And he's not that. And so I know you're not an anomaly. Right. The same way that not every brown person's word should be taken at face value because they're brown. And that to me was what killed it, that that was. I'm not a man. I'm not white. I'm white passing. <laughs> I learned that. Um, yeah, but if we go back to what is left of the left. I don't think there is a left. The left was Trojan horsed. Mm -hmm. And you just have these little ants scattered, just trying to flee the burning of ants. <laughs> just, I, I don't, I don't know. I, but it's not, um, or the burning of Troy, but it's not, it, it's not, it's not this. It's, and, it's not this, what we call left. And let me say something that Eduardo said that uh, really struck on me. When you said Eduardo, you did not, you did not see an alternative. Like you, you, I'll get on that train when I see it, but I don't see it. I think that's important. I think if the yellow vest had been in our town, then you might be talking differently. You know, like, and of course the yellow vest got stomped by COVID, right? They're gone. And that's not an accident, I don't think, you know, but if there had been a movement like that, that everyone, there were people who were saying that that movement was like nationalist and stuff like that, but that actually movement was very politically diverse. It, it had right elements and left elements in it. Um, and I think that's what I believe in today in terms of a movement that would be would have the possibility of being more healthy. But one, I think people go to identity politics and this kind of and using language as sort of a um, you know a, a, a signal wearing them like badges, you know, um, like colonels wear their little little things. You use the language that way. I think that's a result of there not being an alternative. Um, but I think the other thing you said about people being used, that's what I saw happen in the ISO. Like, and that's that's the revolutionary left. And I think many people have had that experience who've been in either anarchist groups or or socialist groups, and they come and they like, I was used. Like there was there there was no solidarity even within our group. Like they just wanted something from me. And when I stop stopped giving them that, I'm out, I'm gone. And those there's some those things speak to a sickness in 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 that in those movements um, that either means 
it either means they they cannot be reformed and must be you know the village has to be destroyed and be rebuilt in the way that Hemo's talking about or deep reform i tend to think that the, all those move, all those things that i was part of have to go away and something completely new has to be rebuilt that is my sense now um but i i do want to highlight that the turk the the absence of an alternative and the experience of being used and feeling like you're being used in these movements was a common feature of them, um, even if people didn't want to recognize it. I was going to add, you know, it doesn't even have to be about race. It, it, you know, they were it, people were saying things like, Let, well, I'm for science. And when scientists came forward and said, let's reopen schools or let's reopen institutions that are healthy for people. They say, oh, that's not the right kind of science we're looking for. <laughs> you know, it, it's, if you're not aligned with their agenda, you're not going to be, it doesn't matter if you have the facts on your side. I'll just say that, you know, the, the data on the facts on your side, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, the other thing, go ahead. No, you, Eduardo, I was gonna shift. No, I, I wanted to also say, you know, that um, to speak to, what you had mentioned about those Irish miners, coal miners and LGBTQ folk. Look, I, I, I think we had a discussion around, uh, we had an episode, we should redo that with either Chema or some or Jess or whoever, like wherever if we're gonna revisit that. But you know, it, I was thinking, we had a discussion around identity and politics and we also had like these terms and the way that people speak about people. I, I think there's decency, right? And there is political correctness. I think if someone says, you know, that really hurts my feelings when you say something like that. Not like that hurts my feelings because you're not using the right term. But like, I remember I had many conversations with Jake, who is white. We're friends. And when we were growing up, he would say things that hurt my feelings. Not because I had thought I was a part of a Bernie Sanders progressive left or I had gone to university. It's just because... I hadn't heard those words said to me in San Francisco. It was it was kind of a shocker to be in Idaho, in Emmett, Idaho, and to say things generalizing Latinos and specifically to me, Mexican, even though I remember being in the car with him. I won't have to repeat the words he said because I don't think, I think he'd be embarrassed by it. But we were in the car and I'd be sitting right next to him and then there were some like Mexican people passing by and he said something and I turned over and I reminded him, I said, I, I think I forget, I'm Mexican. He said, oh, yeah, but I guess, right. Uh, yeah, making sense of that and the ignorance of where he grew up. And, and it's not like I'm asking him to speak correctly, but I'm asking him to be, to be thoughtful and considerate, right? I wouldn't say something that is hurtful to anybody, not because they're white or brown, it's just because it's not light or it's not, you know, it's not being considerate to people's feelings, you know. I don't, like, I wouldn't, I don't like to associate myself into the people who say, oh, fat shaming, you know, let's not fat shame. Of course, I don't want to fat shame anyone. I don't think that that works. But I also, you know, I'm, it's like, I, I'm not doing it because I don't want to be a part of the group that says that we should be accepting the way I, or just be fat shaming is just, I guess the way I'm just trying to express this is like, I just be concerned of how people, how you talk to people in general. What happened to common sense uh, decency talking to people? You know, I, I think that's important. And if we find ourselves in a struggle where we're with other people, 
I'm really had challenging time being among conservative people in Florida and and Idaho and even parts of Massachusetts. And when I would talk to people and there was this human connection and they realized where I'm from, you know, I remember one time I said I was in northern Florida and I said, touche. I remember saying touche. And there was a white woman at a, she was a southerner from northern Florida. And she said, do you know what that means? She looked at me and I said, uh, <laughs> I joked around. I said, no, I, I, what does it mean? She said, well, you're using and I'm not too sure if you know what that means. And I laughed and I speak French. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, and I realized she was kind of categorizing me like I'm just Latino. Like I don't speak other languages. I just speak Spanish, you know, and I'm learning English. But being in England, you know, and people saying, do you speak Mexican in Mexico? And I said, um, you know, I, I'm sure I, <laughs> I speak more than just one Mexican language. <laughs> if I, you know, like, there are, what kind of Mexican language are you talking about? Like, there's so many, there's 60 plus languages in Mexico. Like, which one am I supposed to be speaking according to Mexican language? You know, or are people saying things to me? You know, I think people forget, like, they, you know, I, I think I've said this before, you know, uh, saying things to me. Oh, in, I was in England once and they said to me, oh, uh, Edward, do you know, you you must know this. What's the, what's the, what's the biggest, uh, what's the, what's the well-known uh, drug trafficker in history since you're Mexican? And I said, well, I think it's Queen Victoria since she had that fight with China, you know, over opioids. Opium, excuse me, opium. And uh, and they were like, <laughs> you know, like, and they were like, oh, right. <laughs> and she was the biggest drug trafficker in our history, I think. You know, she had a whole war against another cross nations. Uh, but it's just like people's thoughts and what they're trying to say. I'm not offended so much if they're saying it out of pure ignorance. Like they're not being, they're not trying to be offensive. They're just saying things that are curious about in that case, for example. But if we're in that struggle together, like those coal miners and that LGBT community, you'll find that once you could get that human connection, people see themselves more in our, they reflect in ourselves. You know, we, we see each other more, what, more, what we have more in common than what we don't have in common. And I saw that a lot in Northern Florida. And we did an episode on that, you know, uh, and I understood their fears as well by their jobs being taken away, which is really not immigrants. That's what they've been told. The whole economic collapse and our capitalist, capitalist system that we have. But, you know, they've been told it's immigrants. And, you know, it's COVID. Next is, you know, Palestinians or, you know, whatever it is. So I think it's just that human connection that will eventually dissipate or the 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 ignorance we have in ourselves and not so much teaching and correcting and educating and trying to impose language that, you know, they won't understand why we're doing it to begin with. You know? I don't know if that any of that made sense. I kind of ranted. No, I mean, it does. You know, I think you put it more eloquently what I mean by kind of how we speak in our, in, in our own environments, in our own circles, with our own families and our own friends, you know, um, 
I think a lot of it, you, you said it being able to dif differentiate between ignorance and racist. Um, I think of it being just aware of the tone and the context in which things are said. Because just because you say something, if you just, if, if I have this whole paragraph written out of an opinion piece and I pull out a single sentence, I can weaponize that sentence. But if I plug it back into the paragraph and I see the context, I can't weaponize it because I, I am now giving that voice back to the person that wrote it. And it's the same thing in scenarios. There, there's these non-spoken cues, these non-verbal movements that all add to that context that get lost and get simplified. And yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, and it's not about educating, but it is about finding commonality, right? Because our circles don't want to hurt our feelings. Our circles don't want to make us feel bad, but they are also individuals with their own experiences and their own way of seeing things and their own way of analyzing and interacting with the world. And we can't force them to fit a box of how we see fit and how we interact with the world and everybody needs to interact in the same manner. Um, yeah. And I think one other theme I want to touch on um, that I think was part of the destruction of the left. And I don't think of myself any longer as build, trying to build a new left. I think of myself as trying to find and be part of a revolutionary movement. And I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I'm going to find out. It's going to be constructed by people who have what are considered conservative right-wing ideas and left-wing ideas and liberal ideas, but who are, who are in struggle against whatever's coming against us. Um, but one theme that I think has been used as a bludgeon is the, is the, the boogeyman of fascism. Um, I, and, and I believe that the very least, I think this goes back to world war II, <laughs> like when essentially revolutionaries at that time, knew there was an imperialist war going on, but, and the, the belief of revolution at the time was we're not going to engage in imperialist war. We're going to turn imperial war abroad. Instead, we're going to do civil war at home. We're taking down our own government rather than fight some working class fellow workers in other countries. And the ruling class in, 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 in World War II was successfully able to get most people to buy into the fascist threat and the fact that Germany and Japan were something distinct from the United States and Russia and everyone else. I would say they're not. An Operation Paperclip afterwards, in which all those Nazis got brought into the US government, shows that they don't have any problem integrating so called fascists into their thing. And in my time in organizing, the most of the time the fascism thing really emerged was anytime there was an, an election and the Democratic Party had to kind of rally its base, then the Republican was a fascist. The Republican was a, was was emerging fascist. And that wasn't just during Trump. That was in all the elections that I've been part of in, in the 90s. Clinton Bush, uh, uh, Gore Bush, um, Obama, Kerry, you know, the, the they used fascism to basically say, no, side with us, side with, here's when you should side with us. You're ruling, find a ruling class partner to come up with that will fight this fascist boogeyman. 
I think the difference with Trump is it wasn't just he was a fascist. There was a, a, a statement that the, the, the massive support that he had underneath him represented an emerging kind of fascist movement. And then I think things became really polarized. So anybody who didn't, you, you, you would have, in order to separate yourself from a particular, the fascist, you would use a particular language that was not this Trump, that was not this other thing. And there, in that regard, you were kind of like, you were white knight. You were, you were sort of, uh, we're, 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 the, we're the freedom people, per se, by imposing this language because we want to separate ourselves and distinguish ourselves from these fascist hordes that are over, over here. Um, and I believe that that became part of the feature that developed this sort of sect mentality um, and cancel culture, which it's, which really itself was, it became the thing that was afraid, it was afraid, that I thought it was fighting. Um, it became like this mind control authoritarian um, kind of um, scene um, in, in, in opposing this fascist boogeyman that it saw, which I would say was not there. It was not there. That was not what was... That is not what the Trump, Trump movement represents. Um, does it represent something that's revolutionary or something good? No. Um, in terms of Trump and them. In terms of the anger that is underneath it, there is something there to work with. There was a populist anger that any revolutionary could should be ident identify as something that, yeah, I probably want to be talking with these people and seeing if what what if there's something for me to like work with here. Um and just as much as in any other political scene around them. So that's one theme I want to, I want to touch on. And that's one of the reasons I've been saying more and more, I'm done with talking about fascism. Like, I don't give a shit. I just, I think capitalism is, 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 is extreme. It's, it's, it's completely racist. It's completely sexist. It's completely divisive um, and completely violent. So who needs to talk about fascism when we've got capitalism? So that's another theme I want to touch on. I, I think we have our heads so far up our asses that we just can't see it, you know, and it's sad. But I, I do. I agree. You know, in 2018 in Nicaragua, there are political parties in Nicaragua. I, I you know, most people know the Sandinistas and that's the big one. And if you want to talk about fashion, <laughs> but. During those movements, it wasn't, uh, oh, you're not saying the right thing. You voted for the wrong person. You posted the wrong, you posted a racist, sexist. That was another thing. If you at any point said anything that was remotely sexist or racist, you were taboo. Nobody, no one could come close to you. No one could speak to you. No one can organize with you. And that wasn't the case. And so me coming from Nicaragua, coming from all these protests where you had people from all different walks of life with different values that united under this umbrella of anger towards the government, that that's all that mattered. Nobody questioned your credentials. Nobody questioned, you know, your, your opinions or even what you thought the world, what you thought the president should be, who, whom you thought the president should be. If we because, you know, you were going out there with wanting change. You were going out there with wanting reform and overthrow the government. And it wasn't, well, we're going to put this person, right? That 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 wasn't it at all. And then I come here and 
people are fighting and losing relationships with loved ones and with friends over words. And in Nicaragua, people were dying. People were losing limbs over a cause of you cannot treat us this way. We, we, we deserve better. It was just, it was night and day. And it definitely made me cement that this is not the revolution I want to be a part of. This is not the group that I want to be a part of. This is not even a conversation I want to be in. And yeah, to Lipson's point, don't look at fascism, look at capitalism. If, if that's if that's your enemy, if that's the bottom line, if that's if that's the fist that is holding onto your throat, not letting you breathe, then you need to be able to see past all of this bullshit, past the smoke and the lights and the, you know, the marionettes and the dancing monkeys and the elephant doing tricks and get to what what the real issue is and focus on that and unite around that. I just don't see it. Again, people have their heads so far up their asses. And when you stand in a position of power, and what I mean power is, I don't mean these liberal leaders are actual powerful. They're, they're not going to cause change. They, they're, they're, being, they're being used by someone that actually has power. They're just the yeah. face of it. They're, they, they could have no control. But if they, they, have a, they have a taste of power by proxy. Mm-hmm. And they do think that they're better than those that aren't in that position, even though they pretend to rally and pretend to care about these people. They're not going to let that go. That's why I just don't see a future. I don't see a change coming because, you know, uh, for example, right now with us in Nicaragua, seeing people put their lives in danger and fight and move and hope that the military would come and would do the coup, would do something, right? And it didn't happen. The The government has silenced us, completely silenced us. They're taking away citizenship from people and exiling anybody that speaks ill of the government or thinks poor of the government or has any connection to anything against the government. And there's nobody doing anything because people are so scared. And if I put that into context with what's happened in the United States where there hasn't been a real struggle, no one has lost a life, no one has lost limbs, no one has been exiled, no one has been forced to seek refuge in another country or migrate, you know, go through, in Eduardo, you're seeing it probably in Colombia, you know, have to exodus your country with whatever little thing you have and go to a country that you do not speak the language, you do not know the culture, you do not have anyone, and you are seen as garbage, you are seen as, you're seen as a pest. So to me, it's just, I just don't see it, I guess. One thing, can I say something, Eduardo? Um, I think, though, there is a common element in this country with what you're identifying in Nicaragua, which is fear. I do think fear drives this sort of cultishness. And it's the fear of isolation. It's the fear of being kicked out. And, you know, 
when people fall, there's not a, much of a safety net here in the United States. When people fall through the cracks, they see around them how far you can fall. And I think, I do think people live in a level of fear, even if you don't, even if you don't see the limbs and the bodies. Um, and I'm not going to dispute that. I'm not going to say that that means people in the United States are kind of bigger cowards. That I do think fear drives it as well, drives that kind of um, this th this thinking that has helped decimate what was we call the left. I would. Because mm -hmm. the idea that you would have to shed some blood already puts you off, even mobilizing, you're a fucking coward. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what it really is to need to struggle. You know, I, I have my own opinions about in San Francisco, all these carjackings and all these breaking into cars and people just strolling out of Walmart with shopping carts full of groceries and items, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to delve into that. But if, if, the, if you are not willing to shed anybody, if you're not willing to be placed in jail, if you're not willing to fight for your values. Yeah. You're a fucking coward and stop mobilizing, stop spewing things up in social media, yep. stop trying to organize because you're a waste of time, a waste of resources, and quite frankly, a waste of air for those that actually do and are willing to do it. Because for us in Nicaragua, it took us seeing one kid die for the whole country to mobilize. That could have been anybody's son. That could have been anybody's brother. That could have been anybody's cousin, Alvarito. He was he was the saint for all per intents and purposes in the in the face of that movement, and everybody socialized it. So everyone gathered around, and in this country, nobody is willing to do that. No one is willing to, unless they're only accepting to be the face of a movement if it comes with accolades, it comes with interviews, it comes with product placements, it comes with you getting a million followers on Instagram. Shut the fuck up. So no, Lipson, you're a fucking coward. It's okay. Fear is natural. We all have fear. But you're a fucking coward. Mm. I wish I could argue against that. There'll come a point, though, where you realize that you can no longer be a coward. There's Everybody has a breaking point. Everybody has something that makes you realize if I don't fight, there, there's no point in continuing where I'm at. And I don't know how high that threshold or how low that threshold is for people in this country. But it seems like it's it's pretty extreme. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Edu. Uh, that's all right. Um, I don't have much to add. I'm not sure if you have something to add, Andy. No, I think this has been good. I think uh, I'll I'll let people hear what I said about people in the United States and what Hema said about people in the United States, and you all can decide where you think uh, it's hard. I have a hard time arguing against my frustration. Has I have a hard time arguing against what Hema's saying. So. I'll put that out there, but you you folks can decide what you think. But you know, if somebody wants to tell me why I might be right or might might have more faith in the American public, please do. <laughs> I could use some help right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, everyone, come to Andy's aid, please. <laughs> <laughs>
Come on, she's from Nicaragua. <laughs> Defend our people here. Yeah, fuck her. Get her out of here. <laughs> Just come up here talking shit about us. <laughs> Using our resources, damn it. <laughs> Taking our jobs. <laughs> and our homes. Our homes. <laughs> our precious food. <laughs> Having her little anchor baby. Yes, her anchor baby. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> They're propagating now. Next thing you know, she's going to try and convert us to Catholicism. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. <laughs> uh, What's Left is a weekly political podcast as channel channels of mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests and the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at westleftpodcast.com you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us I remind folks if you fancy anything you've heard here please subscribe rate view turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify iTunes podcast Google Play Google Play may not be doing podcasts anymore actually yeah I, I read some okay yeah uh, BitChute Odyssey YouTube Rumble uh, or Telegram and you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes where you found this <clears throat> and if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover contact us to our blog I'm Eduardo Barca co-host uh, Andy Lipson and Gemma Aburto Sotomayor <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, you can find my personal social media handle as at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram Thank you all for listening. All right. Thanks again for the discussion and we'll be here next week. Ciao. Ciao.